Good morning. If you're joining live, welcome to our service. We've had worship. We've had our two minutes of remembrance. Pauline shared a scripture. So it's been good. Amen. Now it's time to look at the word. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the freedoms that we have to gather around your word whenever we wish. Thank you for our access, pre-access to the word. We thank you that we can have it in so many ways and take, take time to gather around it to, to increase our wisdom, to increase our understanding. So, Father, we thank you for these seeds we're about to plant in our hearts. Thank you that these seeds are the word of God and that we're planting them in our hearts. We speak our understanding so that these seeds are not stolen away. Understanding so that these seeds will grow and produce fruit. Fruit that we all desire in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, we're back to old technology today. Pastor Vic left his tablet in Lincoln. And it's getting, but it's getting posted up. Hey. Uh, yeah, I, I left my tablet in Lincoln. But it's getting posted up. Yay, hallelujah. But it's costing me, it's costing me three pounds. Never mind, hallelujah. So, so it's notes today, which I quite like sometimes. But the unfortunate thing for you is I've added one, two, three, four, five extra bits. Sorry? Yeah, if you want. You won't be able to understand the writing, but... But you can you can have my notes, yes. Shall I, shall I sign them? I'll sign it for you, Pauline. No, I'm only, I'm only joking. Only joking, that's terrible. Okay, we are back in the Gospel of John, going through our series of John. Simply Jesus, yay! Um, I'll get a big cheer for this. I managed to finish Chapter 10 last week, and I'm going to finish Chapter 11 this week. Thank you, Sean. That's really good. Um, but I'm just skimming through it. Uh, yeah, I managed to finish John 10 last week. I love John 10. Amazing truths about Jesus. Him telling us these amazing truths. His uniqueness. He's the only way to the Father, the only way to safety, being in him, through him, and with him. And time and time again, he was telling us he was God, which is awesome. And last week, we, we finished chapter 10 by looking at Jesus saying, Look at what I do as proof of who I am. Look at what I do to believe in me. And we'll see, look at what I do for your initial belief in me. And then he gives us another method to really get to know him. That's what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Believe on me because of what you see. Believe on me because of the miracles you have seen and the miracles that you're actually craving for. It's quite sad. They're all, they're all looking for the Messiah, craving for him to come, desperate for him to come, and he's standing right in front of them. And they cannot see. Really sad. And then in chapter 11, I, thought, I love the way, you know, you maybe think John was kind of written in a certain way to tell us certain things. You know, he's going... Believe in me because of the miracles that you see. And then, bang, 
chapter 11. For me, up until now, the miracle of miracles. Raising the dead. Awesome. So, chapter 11. I'm not going to read it. That would increase the sermon by 10 minutes. But you can, if I was if I was needing time, I would read it. If I was trying to fill it out, but I've got so much to read, I don't need any fillers. So, um, Lazarus. I would suggest a name that most people know. Yeah? yeah. We ended driving through Elgin today. Did you see the big poster just as you came out of Elgin called the saying the Lazarus Project? Some new TV series on Sky or Netflix or something. The Lazarus Project. Everybody has heard of Lazarus and has heard that word, but, but probably not because of the word. You know, we speak of sportsmen and sportswomen doing a Lazarus. Coming back from the brink of defeat, the very brink of defeat, to win a game or a match. I remember Andy Murray had three set match points or whatever it was against them at Wimbledon one year. And he got through that and won the game and somebody said, oh, it was a Lazarus. Oh, not quite. Okay, he was. Yeah, you could say he was down and out, but, but he, he, he came back. We speak of celebrities coming from nowhere to become famous again, relevant again, doing a Lazarus. It's one of the accounts from the Bible that, pe that people know about but don't know about. Turn with me to John 11. Not going to read it, because there's, but there's so much there. I'm going to pick out a few highlights. I'm going to skim over a few things of what stood out for me this week. And then I want to finish by focusing on what, what I've, the main thing I've taken from the account this week. So what about a summary? Well, this is the ladybird guide to Lazarus. Jesus was informed Lazarus was ill. Sisters had sent word to Jesus, but Jesus knew he was dead. He eventually went to his resting place and raised him from the dead. Here endeth the lesson for today. A, a nice short little summary, amen? Yeah. Lazarus was sick. Jesus knew he was dead. Sister's getting a bit upset. Jesus eventually goes and raises him from the dead. But but what's going on? What's going on around this? I, I, I was thinking, so I could preach on that. I could preach on that. I, I could preach on this until Christmas. I could have preached on this for weeks. There's so much in here. But what I want to do for the kind of first half of the sermon is just throw out some thoughts that could have been sermons. Maybe just plant some seeds for you. Um, for you to ponder, ponder over. We could have looked um, at what Jesus says, for example, in verse 25. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Very interesting. I read that and it was like, Jesus doesn't say, I am going to be resurrected. He doesn't say you are going to be resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. It's a bit like truth and grace. 
you know, truth, if we think about truth, it's a concept. Well, it can be so many things now, can't it? If we want to say, what, what is truth? Truth's whatever you want it to be just now. But if we were to think of really what truth is, it's an idea, it's a concept, it's a way to speak and behave, it's, it's something that's right. But in the Bible, it's a person. John 1.17. Jesus is truth. Truth is Jesus. It's not as if he is an example of someone speaking truth, although he is. But he is truth with a capital T. And we know he moved in grace and compassion. He was a person who, was, who operated in grace. He was a person who was compassionate. But more than that, he was grace. He is grace with a capital G. He is compassion. In that sense, in this, he is the resurrection. That's Jesus too. Why is he saying this? As again, he's telling us his uniqueness. He is the only way to life everlasting. The only way. It's only available through him. You can only be resurrected from the death by being in him, through him, and with him. Because he is the resurrection. That is Jesus. He spoke the truth, but he was truth. He moved in grace and compassion, but he was grace and compassion. He is the resurrection. And Lazarus can only be raised from the dead through him. That's what he's saying there. He could have spent a whole sermon preaching that. I also pondered the thoughts and feelings of Jesus during this encounter. A lot of preachers spend a lot of time focusing on the humanity, they say, of Jesus. He groaned in the spirit. He's getting upset. We see him weeping. We see him troubled. And I meditated for a wee while on that word, troubled. And on him weeping. And on him being groaning in the spirit. Yes, they are facets of his humanity. He had feelings as we do. He wept as we do. He can relate to us because he was holy man. But it was that word troubled that I thought most on. Why was he troubled? Why was he upset? Why was he bothered? He knew what was coming. Why, Why did that? Well, it's a good old thing of King James and the English don't cut the mustard. You need to look at the Greek for this word. He wasn't bothered. He wasn't troubled by what was going on. He wasn't upset. He was stirred up in anger. That's what the word troubled means. He was stirred up in anger. Well, why was he angry? Because the enemy had come to steal, kill, and destroy the enemy had come against Lazarus and was stealing, killing, and destroying. He was also seeing unbelief in people close to him. I think that might have angered him as well, stirred him up in anger. So I think the works of the enemy and unbelief troubled him. But not as in bothered him, not as in getting up. Anger. Jesus getting angry? Really? 
Do you remember what he did in the temple? <laughs> meek, Jesus, meek and mild, as if there's a right anger. There's a good use of anger. And we see Jesus. I think I, I think I preached on that when he was in the temple. You know, you think he just went in there kicking over tables and whipping people. You know, he didn't lose his temper, did he? Because he'd planned it. Because he made his whip his scourge. So no, that if Jesus did it, we can do it. And I think we should. We should get angry. We are allowed to get angry. Yes, as a Christian, there are things to get angry at. Not lose your temper. None's going to have a comment here. Not when people cut you off at the roundabouts. But I'm, I'm preaching here. This is do as I say, not do as I do, okay? So you should, yeah, this is just, you, you shouldn't get angry when you're driving, okay? But there is a righteous anger. We're allowed to be angry. Um, as Christians, there are things to be angry at. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, didn't he? So things of the devil are going to make him angry. We should get angry at the works of the devil. If the devil's coming at you, trying to steal, kill, and destroy, whatever it is, be it your, your health, your prosperity, if he's coming to steal that from you, get angry. Get stirred up. Be troubled. Don't be passive. Don't accept. Acceptance and passivity are killers. I've preached on that before. Get angry. Get troubled. Stir yourself up. I've mentioned this before. It's good to see Zan here today. Her arms working perfectly well. I remember the day when they were like this. Could you fell off her stupid toy? <laughs> Broke her arms. I was having a lovely day out. Absolutely spoiled when I got phoned to come back. I was away over to look at the ospreys and the birds. And I have a great time. No, no, no. Called back. His son had broken both her arms. I came into the shop and those two were angry. Angry. And, and I am certain that is one of the things that helped Zan heal just in, the, in a stupid time. Yes, oh, but it wasn't instant. Like, no, it wasn't instant, but I tell you, it was miraculous. It was so quick. Why? Because those two were angry. Especially that one. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Especially my beloved. Zan was going, <laughs> But she was angry as well. And that made a difference, folks. I, I, I think we spoke about it the first Sunday after it happened. To say, what a powerful testimony that was of what Zan could do so quick because they got troubled, stirred up. So, so um, remember that. Being angry. They were. And they knew what the word said. More on that later. I could have preached on why Jesus didn't go into town. Ever noticed that? He didn't go into town. It says he didn't go to town. It says he didn't go early enough. Was he staying away from unbelief? And he asked Mary and the others to take the stone away. He could have done that as part of his miracle. 
you know, if you made the universe and everyone out there, you can move a wee stain. Could have done it himself. Why did he ask Mary and the others? Did he need some sense of faith from them? Could have preached all week about unbelief and faith. I'm thinking I'll give more questions, questions than answers. Um, and this miracle that could have been the greatest so far, we can debate about it. I do like 50 litres of wine. But I think this, you know, we can, this is probably, most people would say, is a greater miracle. It brings the most extreme reaction from the religious. They're now desperate to kill him. Putting plans in place to kill him. Because he raised someone from the dead. <laughs> I mean, you would have thought this miracle would bring them all to him. The guy out there raising people from the dead. Oh, we better tell the Pharisees. It's like, who would have thought, oh, there's a guy out there raising people from the dead. Where is he? Where, where is he? Who is he going to raise next? What is he going to do next? I need to get some of this. No, it, it was weird. No, no, no. The more he did, the more miraculous things he did, the more outrageous, supernatural things he did, the more entrenched some people got in their religion. And that's a lesson we need to look out for. Could, could preach on that for ages. Could have preached on what some could say, maybe the most powerful prayer in the Bible. Lazarus, come forth. We could, we could preach on, use that to preach on prayer. I've heard Andrew saying sometimes the most powerful prayer you can say is help. One word. Jesus, three words. None of this, oh Father, if thou, if thee, if that beest thou will, raise our brother Lazarus who's been dead for four days, raise him from the dead, oh mighty one. No, none of that. But I hear people praying like that all the time. Put your hand on someone and say, be healed. Or be specific. But be healed is a powerful prayer. But sometimes we see, sometimes we think we need to say longer prayers. Now, now sometimes it's appropriate because I think sometimes, sometimes people need that. A lovely, good, long prayer with loads of scriptures will build up someone's encouragement. But actually, back be healed probably is powerful. Speak it out. So I could have spent lots of time talking about um, prayers and how short prayers can be good. We could have spoken about John 50, one of the awesome pictures in the Bible when the high priest prophesies what Jesus is going to do. Speaks it out. There isn't a clue what he's saying. Nor consider it as expedient for us that one man should die for the people 
and that the whole nation perish not. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what, guys, let's just hand him over to the Romans and let them kill him, and, uh, and that'll, that'll save us. We won't have any more bother. So let's, let's just kill one guy, save the nation. He's prophesying the finished work of Jesus Christ, the representative of the old covenant, the representative of the law, is speaking out what Jesus is going to do. It's, it's amazing. We could spend hours on that. I could spend weeks on it if I let nuns even loose on that one. Oh, so much typology in there. So there are so many things we could look at um, in that. You know, Lazarus coming back from the dead, covered in his grave clothes, I had to take them off. It's a picture of an unrenewed mind. It's a picture of coming to salvation, being born again, and having an unrenewed mind, and you have to get rid of all that rubbish before you can operate properly. We could, we could have spent hours talking about that. Loads and loads of sermons there. But not what has spoken to me most this week and what I want to get to and dig into is that as I was reading that this week, this thought came to me, and I had to get my theological advisor to check it for me because I was away and I was busy. And I, I had a sudden thought coming to me, raising Lazarus from the dead, is that the last miracle in John before the resurrection? Now, according to Nancy, it is. So it is. All right? In the book of John. And I'd never realized it before. And because that thought had come to me, I was like, this must be significant. Because what we've seen, you know, what we've seen so far in our study of John is miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And miracles pointing to Jesus Christ. So why this gap of nine chapters where there's no miracles? I thought, so I've been, that's been what's not allowed me to focus on all the other stuff that I could have preached on. I've just been thinking about this. Why? Miracle to miracle, miracle in the gospel of John up until now. And then Jesus being raised from the dead in John 20. And we know that miracles are important because John 20, 30 and 31 says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So why nothing in John 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19? If, if that's so important, miracles point to Jesus. Yet we've got eight chapters. I should have prepared that, shouldn't I? Eight chapters with nothing. Well, not nothing. But no miracles. So we get in chapter 11, what I believe the greatest miracle of all, up until that point, raising someone from the dead, and then nothing until the greatest miracle of all time, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. 
Now, if you look at a chronological Bible, like Andrew Womack's, what's it called? Life for Today, you'll see that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do write about other miracles between these two points in time. Okay? But we're studying John. And we know each gospel has a, has a different message, a different context, a, a different driving force of what they're getting, trying to get through. So what is John trying to tell us from this? What can we learn about this? What is John trying to say? And verse 54 for me is the key. John eleven fifty-four. It says, Jesus, therefore, walked no more openly among the Jews but went thence into a country near to the wilderness and a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. This is key. Jesus was no longer walking among the Jews, no longer walking among the unbelievers. He continued with his disciples. And I think this is the key verse telling us why John doesn't relate any miracles anymore. Open up John 14, or indeed John 13. John 13, John 14, John 15, John 16, John 17. What's the predominant color in your Bible? Red. What does that signify? That's the words of Jesus Christ. We seem to go from a gospel of miracles pointing to Jesus to a gospel of his words. The miracles were when you're walking in amongst the Jews and the unbelievers. His words were what was enough for his disciples. That's what this is telling us. When he was out in the world with the Jews, with unbelievers, it was miracle after miracle after miracle pointing to the way to Jesus as Lord, Christ and Saviour and God. But at this point, from this point on, he's not in the world with the Jews. He's not in the world with the unbelievers. He's with his disciples. And he simply spoke to them. He used words not miracles. Now, let's have a think about the context of this. Jesus is about to be taken from them. He's about to be killed and placed in a grave. And it looks like his mission is over. It looks like everything was over. To the disciples, it could look like they have just wasted the last two or three years of their lives. And they're going to have to go home as failures. This was about to become the most difficult time of their lives for the disciples. Fear and doubt and possibly unbelief will be rising up within them. So what did Jesus leave them with? Masses of miracles? No, that would have been really strong and powerful. No, not masses of word uh, miracles and experiences. 
he left them, his disciples, with his words, with what he said to them. And I'll soon be starting John 13, 14, what words they are. I'm not joking, Pauline. That is the whole of next year. Probably. What's this telling us? Well, it speaks to me. Who, who are his disciples today? We are. The people he continues with. That's what the word said in, in 54. He continued with his disciples. He's continuing with us today. What do we need from Jesus today? His disciples who he's continuing with. Us who've already been signposted to him. We need his word. I'm not going to say we don't need his miracles. But what should be more important in our lives should be his word over experience, over miracles, over goosebumps, over gold dust in our Bibles, over feathers falling out of the air. Now, I'm not making fun of those. But it's the word that's most important. I remember one time in our house, some of you might remember this. Remember Dave and Renette? So Dave was up with us. And, and Dave could say things that I couldn't say because he was only here for a couple of days and then he went away. I couldn't throw hand grenades into you guys now. You know, he could he just. I remember one person one day said to him, I had a wonderful experience, Dave. I got gold dust in my Bible. What should I do? And Dave said, push out of the way and read the word. Push the gold dust away and read your Bible. And I'd, I'd, I'd go, oh, 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 I wish I had the guts to say that at that point. But what he was trying to say was, the word, we are now believers. You know, if, if we see feathers and smell, a couple of times I have smelt kind of rose kind of smell coming off my palms. And it was great. But I don't go around telling a lot of people about it. I tell them about 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's far more important. That's what changed my life. So I'm, I'm trying to get to a point where to tell you that it's the word now that should be our focus. Not experience and goosebumps. And, oh, I could feel, I, I could feel God with us. Well, that's okay for tonight, but what happens when you're waking up tomorrow and you don't feel he's with us? You've still got, you've still got Galatians. We should be looking to his word and not for miracles. And in that context, especially in the times of trouble. But what actually Jesus was doing, and we'll, we'll see this when we look at 14, 15, and 16, he was getting them ready. He was preparing them. They weren't actually in the time of trouble yet. He was giving them this word, and what a word it was. I mean, John 14, 1 is going to be weak in itself. Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, I mean, it's awesome. But he was preparing them for what was coming. The lesson for us is nonsense, trying to get the right words, I'm not rude. Nonsense and hard times are going to come. For some of us, they might be here already. But they are going to come. They're out there waiting and they're going to come. 
What do we do in the meantime before they're out there? Go looking for feathers and gold dust? No, prepare with the word of God so that when they come, you're armed and you know the scriptures and, and you know all your scriptures that you can declare over your business every day. You do that work, that preparation for when the times come. Jesus was preparing his disciples for the worst time in their lives by telling them who he was and telling them who they were. And we have it all written down. Our focus should be the word of God, not miracles. In their time of greatest need, just before their time of greatest need, we do not see miracle after miracle. We see the words of Jesus being used to calm and encourage and strengthen those in him, with him, and through him. That's us. That's what we should be doing. Now, am I saying we don't need or don't want miracles? No. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, it's the word we should be chasing. It's the word that should be of more value, not the experiences and the miracles. I mean, I, I was told once we use the Bible too much in our church. I mean, what, what else? What else am I supposed to do? Yeah. So yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thanks. I should, I should have taken it as a compliment, shouldn't I? I was. I used to get offended back then. Now I would take it as a compliment. But what? I've, I've preached on this before. You know, if. if Two different ministers come to town and one minister says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you're going to see this, you're going to see that, it's going to be awesome, we're going to have people on the floor, we're going to be people running about barking, blah, blah, blah. That place will be packed out. You get somebody coming and saying, I'm going to preach out the word for three hours. Where should we be sitting? Listening to the guy preaching out the word for three hours instead of laughing our heads off and running around and looking for feathers and gold dust. Where do people go these days? For experience. That's why there's so many empty seats here. Go to MGF, you're just going to get the word. Hallelujah. But we've seen people healed. We've seen the miraculous. It's just not what we chase after. I'm, I'm, what we're about here is trying to equip you, trying to do a John 14, 15, 16, as it were, so that when your desperate times come along, you can say, well, actually, remember what it says in 2 Corinthians. Actually, remember what it says in Galatians. Ephesians says this, and Peter wrote that. The words should be seen of greater value, of more importance. Now, there is a lot, a lot to know in there, a lot to renew our minds with, a lot of transformation to be done. If we need it, we can get a miracle and we can value that miracle and I'm not against that. I'm not saying we don't need or don't want miracles but, but where, we, where we ought to aim to get to is if we are in him, through him and with him, we should be in his word hearing his word, gaining wisdom and gaining understanding all the fruits thereof that 
Pauline spoke about this morning. If we're doing that, if we understand about what we have, if we understand about who God is and his true nature and understand our true identity through him, we're going to need a lot less miracles because we're not going to be getting sick and we're not going to be getting poor and we're not going to be getting depressed and we're not going to be feeling rejected. Now, if, if, if and I'm, I'm, you know, I'll take healing because I'm not there yet. But what we should be doing is diving into the words rather than always looking for the healing, for the miracle. But it's there at times of, of need. I'm not against it. I'm not against praying. You know, if you come to me at the end of the sermon and say, Vic, can you pray for healing? I'm not going to say, no, you need to get away and get yourself into the word. I'm not going to do that. But there are a number of you among you for a while stopped asking me questions because all you got, well, what does the word say? What does the Bible say? Where are Michelle's trying not to be eye contact there? What, what does the word say? Give me chapter and verse for, for your issue and Word, word, word. Uh, I'm not saying miracles have ceased. I'm not saying we don't need miracles at certain points. What I'm saying is that, stop using the word should, um, we could be living in a way in understanding the word of God and renewing our minds and being transformed where we don't need miracles. This is a lesson for me from John, 12 through to 19. All the disciples, all the disciples were getting, they only got words from Jesus. As if that, well, that's all they got. It's almost, well, I don't want to condemn anyone, but, but, you know, I'm in the same boat. I could do with a miracle or two, right? Okay? Because I haven't understood this. But what, what John is saying, if you can really get that wisdom and that knowledge and understand who you are in Christ and who God is, we're going to need less miracles. We understand we're healed already, that healing will flow. We understand we're prosperous already, that prosperity will flow. This is a picture for us. In him and through him and with him in his words, we get understanding, we get wisdom, we get knowledge, we get epinosis. We're transformed through mind renewal and health and well-being and abundance will just happen. We won't need to pray for it or be prayed over for it. But if we're not in that place, I mean, I keep telling you, I, I, I really understand about my righteousness, but there's other bits of the Bible that I've not quite got yet. I can't have, because I'm not standing in front of you in 100% health and 100% abundance and 100% uh, mental well-being. So there must be someone I've missed. But what John is showing us is that's, that's the way we, as believers, this huge passage, John is with the believers. Now, yeah, or you could argue, well, they're not believers in our sense of the word. No, but they're his disciples. They're with him. They're following him. So in that sense, they're us. If, if we're not quite there yet, yeah, we can have a miracle. But the best way is to study and prepare and get ready for the hard times and the attacks from the enemy when you would need a miracle. And you can get to the stage where 
those hard times will come and they'll just bounce off you. It'll be like Teflon. Just, nothing will stick. I'll just... Oh, here's the enemy coming again. Try to break up my business. Try to give me that sore back again. We can't get to a stage like that. The word says we can be perfect, and it's actually talking about your body. So it is possible. Is it probable? Don't want to speak out death. Could we understand every single thing in this book before we pop our clogs? I doubt it. However, we could probably get enough to be healthy, prosperous, and accepted and adopted. I don't know. Best way is to study and prepare and get ready for the hard times and the attacks that are going to come. And we do that through the word. We get transformed through mind renewal. We won't get sick. We won't need to be healed. If we get transformed through mind renewal, we will rebuke poverty and we will be in prosperity and we won't need to pray for that. That's what he's doing in John 14 through 17. He's using his words to prepare the disciples for his death and for their fear and their anxiety. Now, what's going to... Do you think we are going to be hit by anything in this life worse than the disciples seeing Jesus' mission dying on the cross? I don't think so. So if Jesus says, hey, boys, here's my words. This is what you need. Say that to us today. Hey, boys and girls. Here's, here's my words. This is what you need. This is a picture for us. A picture that we need to know God. We need to know who we are in him. We need to know our true identity. And we get that in the word. We've already believed in him. We don't need these wonderful miracles to point us to who Jesus is. Because we know who Jesus is. Not only that, Jesus is in us. We've got him. I agree that miracles point to Jesus. That's what the word says. But they're not for you. I would suggest miracles today are not for us. As in, yes, we can be healed. But they're not for us to point us to Jesus. I don't need anybody to point me to Jesus. I'm there. How arrogant. Cut that if you want. Unbelievers need miracles. We don't need miracles to point us to Jesus. He's in us and with us. We oughtn't to be looking for miracles today to increase our faith, to to get things, we, uh, to, to make our lives better. No, we should be looking at Galatians. What does Galatians say about the finished work of Jesus in the first three chapters? And then what does it say we can do in the next three? We should be looking to Ephesians, the first three chapters about grace, what Jesus has done. The next three chapters, this is what you're now anointed and appointed to do. This is what you can do now. We've got, we've got that to look to. Oh, gosh, oh, I'd rather watch some experience and see some miracles than read Ephesians again. That just tells me you don't understand Ephesians. I want to read Ephesians again and again and again and again. My Ephesians and Galatians are disgustingly dirty. They are gross. I don't want to get a new Bible because I love this Bible, but these, look at these, these pages. It's, 
you know, oils off my finger. They're disgustingly dirty. I have to be honest and say that the minor prophets are pretty spotless. <laughs> you have to look up the index to find them. But you know, but we now we now have the word. That that should be our that should be our thing. Now, I'm not against miracles, but I'm more focused on his word and what it says through scripture. See, I, I sometimes see debates where Christians are trying to explain things and persuade non-believers, and they use things in the Bible. I, I, don't think that would, I don't think that works. One, they don't believe in God. Two, they don't believe in the Bible. So how are we going to believe what you say? But heal their bad back or raise somebody from the dead. That would point them to Jesus. But once... Once they're a believer, once they've been signposted to Jesus and then they're in him, through him, and with him, well, they don't need the miracles anymore as a signpost. They need the word. Why? Because they're like Lazarus. They've come out of that grave, but they're covered in all the grave clothes. And they need to get rid of that baggage and stuff that's holding them back. And seeing other people raised from the dead, that's not going to help that process. But mind renewal and transformation with the word of God, that's what that process is. That's what they need now. So that's the kind of big thing I got when I noticed that, why has John all of a sudden stopped writing about miracles? What's in that eight chapters? The words of Jesus Christ. And we're blessed we're blessed we've got them right in our hands. We have the freedom to study them anytime we want. We've got them on our, in our books. We've got them on our phones. We've got them on our laptops. You, oh, I don't like reading. You can listen to them. Oh, I don't like listening. You can watch somebody reading it on YouTube. It's no excuse. No excuse anymore for, for not having the word of God pumped into your hearts. After raising Lazarus, Jesus did not move among the Jews. He continued with his disciples and he used his words. We are now his disciples. He wants to do the same with us. He is with us all the time. He is continually with us. The word says he will never leave us nor forsaken us. Never leave us nor forsake us. And he's given us his word to encourage, to edify and exhort up to us to use it. Amen.